And it was quite the transition. Uh, I branded myself as an in real life connection advocate. And then I never imagined, many of us never imagined that that wouldn't be possible one day during Mm -hmm. our lifetime. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it it was a really interesting experience, you know, that kind of flew me for a loop, so to speak. But what I ended up doing was being flexible. That's all that we can do. There's so much that's out of our control and we need to be prepared at any moment to get to the root of our why. So this was an opportunity for me to deepen what my why was. So originally I was all about let's gather in person, being in a tech hub of the world in Silicon Valley. I kind of was sticking out like a sore thumb in a way that I enjoyed. Welcome to the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast, the show where we discuss what it takes to create a sustainable long-term online business in today's fast-moving environment. We talk with industry experts and freelancers alike to find out what it takes to build and manage a location-independent business. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast. Today's guest is Stephanie Michelle, who is the author of the Confident Introvert book, a speaker and coach. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Hi, Adam. Thanks. So, Stephanie, you have created a book to help people who are introverted to be more confident. So this is a a really interesting topic because a lot of people feel that, I mean, if you don't have confidence, a lot lot of opportunities in life are going to pass you by because maybe you weren't confident enough to to take it up. So can you wind us back? I know just before the call, you, you said the book is one in June. So what led you to reading the book and, you know, how did you get started with speaking and coaching and, and what led you down this path? Yes. So I knew I always wanted to write a book and sometimes I don't, maybe some of your listeners can relate. There's this feeling of whatever the book is, it's my legacy. And there's a lot of pressure on what that book is. And I came to a place, it was actually in November of 2019. So right before a lot shifted And I was looking back on my life and I realized, huh, I've been touring this webinar or excuse me, at this time it was a workshop called Networking for Introverts. And so I I transcribed that workshop and then I went through the frequently asked questions and I began to put everything in a document and it became slowly but surely a book. So oftentimes we have a book inside of us and it may not be exactly the book that we think this is it, but you know what? You can have multiple books. So that really liberated me to write this book and to say, okay, this is a part of my legacy and what I stand for. But what I really wanted to get out there is that you can be an introvert, which means that you get your energy from solitude. It doesn't mean that you're shy, but it means that you just get your energy a little bit differently than people who are extroverted that like like to be at those raves and EDM concerts, right? Like I'm not a huge fan of that. <laughs> I mean, but really even going deeper, it stemmed from growing up with this lingering feeling of disconnection and really wanting to find that because I showed up a little bit differently than the stereotypical narrative of someone who's like always putting themselves out there and taking bets on themselves. And there were times when I almost did that, but I would kind of hold back at the last minute or think, oh, like I won't win anyway. Or even if I did win something, there would be another belief that would come up like, oh, maybe that there's something wrong. <laughs> so yeah, my own journey to 
building a sense of confidence and community in the process is what led me to writing Confident Introvert. You definitely hear some people are massively affected by just when you're in that crowd scenario that the energy of it really drains them and stuff like that. It's it's interesting because I've always been ENTP when I do the Myers-Briggs, so I'm on the other side of the fence, I believe, uh, in terms of really extroverted and and I do like that scenario but it's funny as you get older you kind of sway in the other way you know where you like you'll do it for a little bit and then you'll come back so like what are some strategies and tips to people who are maybe more introverted and who prefer the solitude like for them to make meaningful connections in and, and to network with people who are you know what I mean in the industry that they want to go into or in their industry because networking is such a fundamental part of running an online business whether it's in this scenario, like doing video calls and over email, but like ultimately when you go to events, that's where you often make these meaningful connections with people. You get to go for dinner, you get to hang out when the world is normal, I'm talking about. How would you deal with, or like, how do you think people should approach that when they are more swaying on the introverted side of being human? (laughs) Yeah. When it comes to networking specifically, the first step is to reframe what networking means to you. So there can be a lot of pressure on that word. And a lot of people have a negative connotation of, oh, it's transactional, it's slimy, it's this thing that I have to do, it's a means to an end. When if you approach it in that way, it's gonna really suck, okay? But if you instead think of networking as uh, making new friends, then that will be such a game changer. So for me, when I first started my networking journey, It was, I I would volunteer at events before I was hosting the events, right? I was more behind the scenes and I loved having a purpose. So if you identify as being introverted, having a sense of purpose at an event by volunteering allows you to interface with more people and also understand the behind the scenes structures. And then people will come up to you, approaching you, asking you questions that you likely have insight into because you have that behind the scenes knowledge. And yeah, that also helps build confidence to constantly put yourself out there in situations where you do end up becoming desensitized to the sense of anxiety that you used to feel. And the same thing goes for public speaking, for doing interviews, for things like that. And there is a deeper layer to this, though. And the deeper layer to this is social anxiety that some people think isn't just inherent with being an introvert. Like, oh, if you're introverted, then you feel this crippling anxiety socially when that doesn't need to be the case, but it can often be the case. So one really tangible tip that I like to offer people who are like, okay, I'm dedicated. I'm ready. I want to get out there and do the networking thing and go after my dreams, right? Dream career, dream life, whatever it is, uh, is to have something called a solitude sandwich. I know. So, I mean, even if you're low carb, you can appreciate this. So basically it's a concept from the book. And what you'll do is you'll have pieces of solitude, your bread, right? That sandwich your activity, or let's say that's your peanut butter. Because what so many of us do is we're just reaching into that peanut butter jar, eating it by the glob, and we're wondering, why do I feel so depleted? And you know, on some level, that sounds kind of nice, but no, it's not sustainable. And we want to have that time on either end to recharge and replenish. So what that can look like is let's say that you have, and this can be virtual or in person, let's say that you have a one hour event, 
sometimes what we do is schedule ourselves back to back to back, and then we completely burn out and we hit a wall and we need to either log off the computer or go home immediately because we're depleted. So to avoid that, what you want to do is have, let's say, 15 minutes. It could be a half an hour um, on either end of the event where there's nothing planned aside from just being. You could meditate. You could stretch. You could walk around. It's funny you say that because I, I know whenever I go to conferences, like, and I've flown to conferences all over, over in Canada and Spain and London, Berlin, like you go and you do the conference part and then you nearly need to go back to the hotel room just to like, I just need to de-people here for a little half hour <laughs> to kind of reload the energy to go back out because it's so much talking and talking and talking and it can be intense. And then on the opposite side of that, you do notice that some people tend to, they'll find that one or two people that they maybe clicked with a little bit and then they they kind of sit there with those people and they don't make an effort to get to know, like you said, like to make some new friends, to, to, to meet new people who they haven't engaged with yet. When when we're talking about the confidence, to not just networking, but you hit it on the head there when you said it's, it's yes, career, yes, work, but also life, relationships. Like, you know what I mean? All these things blossom out of having the confidence to proceed and to engage in conversation. So it affects many areas of your life, not just like your work relationship. Do you see that? Do you see that that's something people do? Because I guess they're defaulting maybe to their comfort zone in a way, like because they're like, oh, I like this person. They're cool. Let's just sit here and I don't have to do all yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. So, so one of my main tips around going to networking events is to go by yourself. And that can be really jolting for some people because it's so common to outsource our confidence in the form of, let's say, a sidekick or a friend. Let's say you want to go to this event, but you say, oh, but I can't go by myself. I need my friend to go with me. And then who do you speak with the entire time? But then to your point, even if you do go by yourself, it's possible that in the very beginning of the event, you could, let's say, find one person and speak with them the whole time. And in one situation, this is totally fine. In another, it's not. So the situation in which this is not going to serve you is if it's the first person that you connect with, but you're not actually clicking. So if you're speaking with someone and the conversation is going nowhere and you speak with them the whole time, that's not going to be great. I would not recommend it. However, if you were at an event and this is maybe not a conference, but let's say it's it's one hour, two hour, three hour event, at least for the one hour portion, it could take a few tries entering different groups, approaching different individuals or groups of three. I like to approach groups of three instead of groups of two because there's more likely a third wheel in that group of three and you'll be more welcomed. So yeah, you'll, you'll know when you click. So not settling for connection for the sake of connection, but actually being able to talk about things that are slightly below the surface, maybe even a little bit personal, not to be confused with too personal, but talking about, let's say a milestone of something like a, a trip that you're planning. So that's really exciting these days as people are beginning to travel more. So essentially, I would say that it can still be a win to speak with, let's say, only one person in depth at an event. However, if it's a multiple day conference and you're speaking with one person for three eight hour days, then no, <laughs> let's not do that. But it's perfectly reasonable to have an hour conversation with someone and, and let it really flow in that way and then get their contact information and get back out there and meet more people. 
I like that idea, especially the group of three, you know what I mean? Because you don't, it's funny because I have this love-hate relationship with conferences where you go and sometimes they're great, sometimes they're not. And it's all, it's literally, it's all down to the people who you connected with there. And sometimes, you know, if you look back in hindsight, did I maybe, was I standoffish? Was I trying to engage with people or was, did I just kind of meet one person and kind of just pal about with them for the day and, and then you didn't grow your network in the way that you had set out to when you went to this you know I, I've even watched some people who are so good at it you know they just they're just like they'll sit and they'll talk for five ten minutes and then they're like right I'm going to work the room and what they mean by that is they're just like I want to connect with loads of different people and see if somebody is just like aha I like you you like me let's follow up again later on you know and talk about some stuff yeah there's nothing wrong with quality over quantity though there's this character, and I think we all know who they are, a slimy Stan. So just by me saying that, you can probably picture what this archetype is. And that's someone who maybe is trying to do the thing you're mentioning, where speak to someone for five minutes and then have five-minute conversations with dozens of people over the course of hours. But what we can run into when we do that is maybe being so future focused and not present that we don't actually connect with the person and it becomes transactional, which is a lot of people's fears about what networking will be like as an experience. So I'd say, yeah, there's certainly an art to that, making multiple connections at an event. And sometimes it will happen more naturally where people will kind of flow in and out of a larger circle, for example. But yeah, there's a balancing act, right? Between having a strategy in mind of maybe numerically, I want to meet X amount of people, but I prefer to be more qualitative because ultimately when it comes to both giving and receiving help or guidance in our careers, if you have a list of 20 people and you know the bullet points, then sure, you can make those introductions. But if you know someone on a deeper level, then you're really able to advocate for them. And they're really able to dig below the surface of what your LinkedIn says. And if an opportunity comes up that maybe isn't publicly something that you're interested in, they would know. That's interesting. So I like it. Let's kind of touch, circle back a little bit to, you know, your website, the stephaniemichelle.com. And, you know, you're doing coaching with people as well. So like, I'm just curious, you know, obviously events like this past 12 months, in-person events have had a massive, well, a shift online, but it's not the same as we're just talking about. So I, I just be, I'm curious to know, you know, how have you maintained, you know, as somebody who had a, a very, a business that was focused on, you know, events and speaking and public speaking and things like that. How have you transitioned over the last 12 months? And also just kind of before that, like how did it start? You know, like when did it start and why? Uh, where did that come from? Yes. So I'll start at the beginning. So at the very beginning, attending events and being just very curious about the dynamics. I am a planner at heart. So I love logistics. Some people, it gives them a headache. With me, I really thrive on it. So being able to observe pros doing it in the San Francisco Bay Area attending those events and then getting involved behind the scenes and then getting to a point of curating my own events and also joining the board of the Young Professionals of San Francisco, really enlivening their existing events and having dance classes, for example, instead of just your traditional mixers. Because I believe that networking, when we reframe it as making friends, we're not necessarily only networking if we're in a room with a bunch of people, let's say, suited up that with a sign that says networking outside of it. 
it's it's a ha- something that's always happening. So I, I, it can be fun. I posted over a thousand events um, in person, and it was quite the transition. I branded myself as an in real life connection advocate. And then I never imagined, many of us never imagined that that wouldn't be possible one day during our lifetime. (laughs) So yeah, it it was a really interesting experience, you know, that kind of flew me for a loop, so to speak. But what I ended up doing was being flexible. That's all that we can do. There's so much that's out of our control and we need to be prepared at any moment to get to the root of our why. So this was an opportunity for me to deepen what my why was. So originally I was all about let's gather in person, being in a tech hub of the world in Silicon Valley. I kind of was sticking out like a sore thumb in a way that I enjoyed where, okay, everyone's in their VR virtual reality world with their you know headsets on and I'm gathering people in person. It seemed like a lost art. And when that was no longer possible, these tools that I had pushed aside became ones that I needed to leverage in order to both, you know, maintain momentum within my business. So for example, I transitioned my webinar, Networking for Introverts, into a remote format and called it Networking Remotely. So as I learned and researched all of the different meetups that were happening virtually and all the different skills that you need to be able to do that effectively in an online space. I then relayed and shared that knowledge. Yeah, that began to tour pretty much weekly uh, throughout the whole situation that we've been in um, since April. When it comes to lead generation for my business, what workshops have always been a primary way that I connect with people who I can eventually work with. And how that has taken shape over the past year is now, instead of in-person events, it's been through webinars. And what's been really cool about webinars is let's say that if I were to host an event, I used to host a lot of events at the General Assembly space in San Francisco. Their biggest room could hold about 200 people. So let's say I could host an event and we would be capped at 200. Then when I started hosting events virtually, we could have 800 people in that virtual room. It's about quality over quantity to me always. However, that was cool to be able to not have that cap, to have more possible. Absolutely. And and it's, I mean, it makes the potential for your business far greater in because it's you're not leveraged too by your location. Like you're saying there about San Francisco Bay Area. Maybe I'm interested. I'm in Ireland. Like I'm not getting all the way there. That's literally the other side of the world. But within just America, you know, you've got the East Coast, you've got, you know, you're opening yourself up when you go online in this format by doing uh, webinars that just to a whole range of audience and opportunity that you, you just couldn't have done before. Like where maybe you thought a room of 200 was big, room 800 is a big bloody room. You know, that'd be a big stage if you were up on it. And as a lot of people, were you doing these then? So these webinars, these workshops, were you doing them? Were they like these challenge things? You know, I see a lot of these lately where it's like, three-day challenge or five-day challenge and you run the Facebook ads to the challenge and then they might pay like 20 quid or something just to do the little mini challenge and then the upsell then is ultimately the coaching or the high uh, signature offer, the course, the higher level course. So would that have been the strategy? Are you doing it live with these people or is it like pre-recorded webinars and you run them in and they kind of self-serve based on documentation and videos you've prepared in advance? 
I did not go that route. I, I did not end up, let's say, having a mini paid challenge that lasted multiple days. It's something that I may consider in the future. But what I have done over the past year is taking one of the aspects that I really enjoyed and that uh, attendees really enjoyed from my in-person experiences was the fact that it was live. In my opinion, and I say this now, but who knows, give me another year, it could shift. But for now, my belief is there are YouTube videos online. YouTube's great. They're pre-recorded though. There's something about the energy of being live and being able to interact in real time. I love the opportunity to see who's in the room and to ask a question and then see the different, let's say, locations pop up in that initial question that we all get of like, where are you right now? Because you could be anywhere. And then when people respond with their questions or different answers to the questions that I ask, I get to I get to get acquainted with people and then I'll get a request on LinkedIn. And it's like, oh, Devin, oh yeah, I remember you from tonight's event. Awesome, thanks for connecting. And it more closely mirrors the in-person experience or at least the component of it that many of us love so much and miss that's coming back. Yeah, no, I have seen a few events happen. I think we were saying before the call, Miami seems to be the spot every uh, Miami, like all the DJs are gone there. But aside from that, I've seen quite a few of the like online marketers kind of fly over there to host events. Actually, quite a few of them in the last maybe three weeks have gone over. Look, in America, that's the place where you can go back to having these events. But like, it's great to hear, you know, that you, so you were able to pivot. Like, so you went literally from, having, you know, being known as the person who can put on these fun, cool events that are different, that are good for networking. And then I was taken away and, you know, you could have took that blow and, 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 you know, got down or whatever, but no, you didn't do that. You pivoted, which is the important thing and moved into the online webinar space. And now you've actually come out the other end of it, being able to serve more people at volume. And by all means, you're going to have these in-person events when possible, but I can't, can't imagine that now you would throw away or discard the opportunity to also do webinars as well. You know, like it would be kind of a dual model because now you've gone through it, you understand the process and you can see the scale and the size of the audience really that it can potentially uh, open up for you. Exactly. And so right now my focus is one-on-one coaching, but I do see transitioning into a more group format that also brings in that community building component. Um, ensuring that we're able to stay connected and and connected with like-minded people that have similar goals, they're ambitious. That's one of the things that I love best about networking is that you're in a room with people who are striving, who want to be better. And that's the type of energy that really feeds your own growth as well. Because often a lot of people don't have it in their you know, in their location, maybe where they are. Maybe it's different in San Francisco Bay Area because it's, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, this breaks down barriers if you're in a small town in Iowa, for sure. Exactly. And it gives you that opportunity. So when you're working, you know, doing one-on-one coaching, so let's just kind of talk about what do you see as some recurring topics or recurring themes that you, you have noticed come up like, over and over again that you feel most people might suffer from or, or might have? Like, you know, do you have any that you, you might be able to touch on or talk about and, and maybe then how, how the people could then potentially overcome them? Certainly. A theme in my coaching practice over the last year includes anxiety and not just social anxiety, 
but an underlying sense of dis-ease, being alone, being with people doesn't matter, but just showing up with this sort of jitteriness that impacts sleep, impacts quality of life. There's also imposter syndrome and self-limiting beliefs. Self-limiting beliefs, it's something that existed before the world shifted, but a lot of them have come up as we've had more time to engage in solitude and be alone with those thoughts. And what I encourage my clients to do is to get really clear on questioning those beliefs. So if you tell yourself, I'm not good at this, it could be your big light secret in disguise. And what a big light secret is, is something that we've written off as something that we're not good at When if we actually reframe or look at that thing in a different way, then it's a strength. So sometimes maybe as children, we are labeled something and then we carry that label with us through into our adulthood. And we think of it as a fact about ourselves when really it was a judgment or an opinion that someone bestowed upon us that we internalized as fact. Yeah, what's kind of fun about being an adult is getting to understand what's fact and what's fiction and to proactively understand what's true for you and then to live it. It's so true what you're saying. I've read a few different books and listened to a few podcasts and audio books around this topic, literally around neuroplasticity, where like your brain, like you can basically as an adult, like you can rewire parts of your brain, but you have to kind of like undo it a little bit uh, to get back to it. And like you're saying, somebody might have been joking, which is a child. It might have been doing it out of love. You know, it might have been like, you know, maybe one kid is smart and one kid's not so smart. And you're like, oh, that's the smart one. You're just a dumb one. You know, like parents might have messingly done it back in the 80s. We're talking about not now where everybody's a snowflake and you can't say anything to anybody. But, um, (laughs) you know, when I grew up, (laughs) it was a bit different. I mean, negative self-talk and and things like that. Like you're saying, it's about changing the framework and taking the time to be a bit more self-aware. And it's not that you stop. Like this is, I think, a, a massive misconception is people think, oh, you, you stop your thoughts. It's not that you stop them. It's that you reframe what they mean to you and you, you make an attempt to not have them be disempowering or have them be negative. And if they are you don't go down the loop. You don't go down that negative spiral loop of thought patterns. And, you know, all of a sudden everything is shit and the world is chaos. It's like, <laughs> you know, um, but I think something that, that I've seen work really well for people is to curate the content that you're taking. Because when you look at Facebook, Google, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, they're algorithms that are going to reflect literally like a mirror reflect back to you what you like and what you engage with. And if you engage and like and watch videos of stuff that gets you mad and gets you annoyed and makes you feel disempowered, then you're going to have that shown back to you (laughs) all day, every day that you go on those platforms. So there's an element, I I imagine, of uh, self-responsibility that people have to take upon themselves. But for you as a coach, I'd say it's inspiring and transformative to watch that transformation within people like where they kind of the dots align or something like and and you can because you would see it in them because you're probably coaching them through that process yes i love that you brought up that point as well what we consume colors our reality 
I became aware of this several years ago when it comes to music. A lot of popular music is about breakups. Maybe it's about feeling sad, feeling upset, getting revenge, whatever it is, uh, or lovesick. These are some themes in top 40 hits. So I've been a lot more intentional in recent years of understanding the type of music that I'm consuming. I, I generally don't watch TV. Being the creator versus the consumer. And we can't get away from consuming. We're going to the grocery store. We're we're getting eggs, whatever we need, right? We are consumers, but intentionally consuming is so crucial. And, And a part of the coaching experience, so I've had my own coach, right? And it's one of those situations where, sure, you could make these changes on your own. You could sit down and journal and understand, oh, wait, that belief isn't mine. My parents said that 20 years ago. What the heck? However, having that guidance can really collapse time because while we can do it ourselves, and I used to be such a DIY, oh, I can, even with my business growth, I thought I can do 100% of things on my own. I'll learn all those programs. I'll just do it all. When what I've realized as my business has grown, particularly through this online sort of reality that that we're plugged into more than ever right now is that I don't have to do it all. And to be able to outsource certain things that maybe are more up to me that feel more mundane or that feel over my head so that I get to actually do the work that I enjoy doing and that I'm really good at. That's a huge learning curve. I think most new business owners go through. I love fiverr.com, all my graphics, my podcast editor, Not my VA, I hired her through Facebook, but like, I mean, oh, something's wrong with the website. Fix it. Fiverr. I'm on Fiverr. Like, I love Fiverr. I don't know. Like, it's not, nothing costs a Fiverr anymore. Everything's like 50 bloody quid. Um, But, you know, I don't hire the the cheapest of the cheap. I go for the people with a thousand five-star reviews, you know? Like, no, no. Yeah, I'm like looking for the level two fives. But the point being, like you're saying, you're speaking right to me there. Like, you know, you get sucked into the work that you don't like doing. Maybe it's something configuring DNS codes and servers. And you're like, I am absolutely going to throw this laptop out the window right now. It's annoying me. Or you just go on Fiverr and you just go, boom, somebody sorted, job done. And then you get to focus on either the work that you enjoy doing for yourself or, you know, the client work that you're working on as well. So I think that's important. So yeah, no one went out. And like yourself, it's, it's a little bit of self-awareness, you know, Sometimes you have to do things for yourself, but sometimes you have to know when either you don't have the skills for it and it's not the best use of your time to spend 20 hours on YouTube learning the skill or when to just go, that's important. It needs to be done, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to find somebody who does it, pay them, cut a check, get it done faster. Well, and having mentorship, really. So when it comes to, so beyond the tangible tactical things, if you feel like the way that you feel is low vibe, depressed, whatever it is. There's nothing wrong with that, but sometimes we need help to get out of funks. Mm-hmm. And it could be a temporary funk because let's say an event just happened that you know was out of your control that you didn't foresee happening. Or it could just be the way that you've shown up for a while that you think is your default that actually isn't. It's interesting you mentioned there about, you know, you you had a coach and you offer coaching and I did write down there just to ask you. So like, what do you think is important to look out for when you are looking for 
somebody to coach you or mentor you because you know that's kind of even what you're touching on there sometimes you don't know why you feel like you're doing the right work but nothing's going right and you know is it the accountability is it talking through it like sorry I'm asking a kind of a different question there like what do you look for in a coach first <laughs> and then we'll see like we go on to something different then yeah yes what you look for in a coach is first of all do you trust them And this is something that you can know, maybe even by watching a video of them. Um, You don't even necessarily need to have a one-on-one call with them yet to know if you're open to trusting them. We can get a vibe uh, depending on how someone shows up, right? So first of all, having that sense of trust, because that will be crucial because your comfort zone will be stretched within the coaching experience. So making sure that you have that level of trust and faith and to say, okay, I'm going to try something different, try something new. And also to take a look at their testimonials, make sure that they have credible testimonials, that they have gotten clients results, maybe not just for them, but for other people So that's another crucial component. And then thirdly, I would suggest also taking a look at the things that that they've accomplished personally. So you want to make sure that they've gotten the results for clients, but they've also lived at least part of the reality that you'd like to live because we are like the people that we spend the most time with. So when you're in a coaching container with someone who is actively living a lifestyle that you would like to live, There's a lot that comes along with that. There are networking connections that that person has that now become available to you. There's that mindset and the energy, the less tangible stuff that then becomes available to you. So yes, first of all, being open and understanding that they can get the results, they have gotten the results and just being like, all right, let's go. No, I, I agree with you there. It's really important that they've either done what you would like to do or they are living a sort of lifestyle that you would like to live or just like you're saying, that they've proven experience and proven results and and that uh, you feel like you trust them and can connect with them, you know? So that those are all super important factors. And I guess you'd know too, wouldn't you? Like you'd probably know most coaching, you don't usually go like straight from zero to coaching. Rarely, it would typically be like an introductory call. From what I've seen anyway, most coaches have like a discovery call, I guess is what you call it, where maybe 10, 15 minutes and you, you connect or you don't. Maybe that's not everybody. Maybe some coaches are, here's all my stuff. Here's all my proof. Here's all my videos. Hire me or don't hire me. It's up to you. <laughs> it really depends. Yes. So when I've entered coaching containers and when I have hosted them, there are some people who know right away. Maybe they've been following your work for years and they say, okay, I'm ready. And they're, they're good to go. And then other times there's a more lengthy process. So I, I really say there is no one size fits all. There could be, let's say, a form to fill out. And then you're in a container, you're in a group, you're in a one-on-one environment, or there could be that intro call. There could be a series of calls. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I guess each individual person is going to be different, but also each in the same way, each coach is going to be different. And then how how much would you think, like, Jordan, when you're doing coaching with people, typically, like, is a lot of it mindset-based and, you know, belief systems-based, or is it mostly the operation side that you find people need help with? You know what I mean? Does it kind of work in the realm of the psyche more or in the, you're doing everything wrong, stop it, let me, no, use 
Kajabi, use WordPress. You know what I mean? Like, where do you see typically <laughs> where, where people need the help the most? It's a combination. So it, it's very rarely 100% tactical. Okay, here's a checklist. Do all those things. You're good. Goodbye. But then again, it's also rarely, huh, the mindset isn't right or the energy isn't right. But actually, if it's going to be one of the two, that's the more likely scenario. It, we're more likely to have limiting beliefs that are holding us back. And you can have that list. And you know, if you go and let's say read a blog, you can access a list of, oh, the top 10 best tools for entrepreneurs. Sure, you can do that. But if it doesn't work for you, then maybe you won't have faith or trust in those systems when in reality, there's something going on within yourself. And this can be really triggering for some people who are thinking, I don't want to be the problem, but let's not think of it that way. You're the solution. And let's say that there's some outdated programming in your mind. And so one of the modalities that I use, I'm a certified hypnotherapist. So with my clients, I certainly have the tactical tools to provide, to cut through that noise so that you don't need to go out there and try everything on your own and say, okay, test number 220. That didn't work either. It's like, okay, let's cut through that. No need. But if there are certain beliefs, certain emotions that are holding us back, that we don't understand. So having that awareness is key. But then once we have the awareness, we even need to go further than that and reframe and internalize new belief systems, new feelings. It can be triggering for people. It could be the rejection is a fear most people have. Maybe they had a bad burn, you know, and it still lingers deep in the deep in the bones. And that's the reason why they're so useless at follow-ups on calls or what chasing people up for invoices it's like you know what I mean like the, the, it could be while it looks like like Jesus Christ just will you just pick up the phone and follow up on the leads they're literally in your inbox whereas it's like that's not the problem yeah but if you have the belief that oh people people don't like me and this is going to go poorly and you make the call the call will go poorly so that's why it really all comes down to how you're showing up and, and that's where having, like you're saying, just have, like working through with a coach can be helpful, you know, because it's both sides. It's not just one in terms of, yes, they can help with operations, but also try to help you become self-aware of what the things are that might be holding you back. Because often it's self-sabotage, you know what I mean? Like it's not that you're not capable, it's not that you're not worthy, it's not that you can't do the thing, it's that you keep getting in your own way. <laughs> ruining your own opportunity you know what I mean like you're it's not that you can't do it it's that you're like kind of holding yourself back <laughs> well and you're trying to keep yourself safe through all that it's not like you're setting out to you know what I want to live a small confined life and I'm going to do everything in my power to sabotage opportunities for expansion that's not how it works it's we're thinking about the possibility of failure and when we think about the possibility of failure more than we think about the opportunity for success, that's when we get tripped up and either we don't take the action or we take the action and we fall flat on our faces because the energy and the emotion behind it doesn't match up with success. I love it. You're dropping value bombs here. So, Stephanie, it's been a great conversation. And, and I know you have a meditation as well to try and help people with this. So, you know, people can get it at the stephaniemichelle.com forward slash meditation where you can kind of work through this. It's like a confidence meditation, isn't it? So, 
Oh yeah. So I was going to say, go to thestephaniemichelle.com slash freebie. And it's a free 21 day confidence activation. So it's really exciting. Just making the commitment to do it every day for 21 days will be a total game changer. That's the best place for people to connect with you. Where else will we find you? You mentioned LinkedIn earlier on. Like, where do you hang out online if people want to uh, connect and, and join? On social media, you can find me pretty much everywhere, but I'm the most active on Facebook and Instagram. And also I'm getting a few TikToks up there. So at the Stephanie Michelle is where you'll find me on most places. Maybe not doing the dances so much, but hey, they have they have learning and development options, and you know there's some there's some fun behind the scenes stuff there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've noticed every internet marketer doing this now on Instagram. You know, it's like they're all just like. <laughs> That's what's going on. But look, you know what? They get thousands of you who don't hate it. You know, it is what it is, you know? So uh, have fun with it, you know? Don't take yourself, don't, once again, it's probably back again to confidence. You know, don't take yourself too seriously. Everybody's got their own stuff going on. People aren't looking at you as much as people tend to think they are. And, uh, you know, people who are successful and want the best for you, they don't, you know, they don't care if you fail. They appreciate that you tried and, you know, they'll try and prop you up for the next run. You know, it's, uh, I think that's important too, to to have that sort of a community and environment around you where, you know, failures, it's not failure. You just learn some lessons and you go again. Stephanie, it was a pleasure. You're a really insightful person and it was uh, fun to talk with you. And I'll make sure to link to everything in the show notes for YouTube, Spotify, wherever people are listening so that they can click out and connect. Do you have any workshops upcoming, any webinars in the pipeline? Yes, So right now I'm in the beta launch of Stop Holding Back, How to Rewire Your Subconscious Mind for Unshakable Confidence No Matter What. So that will likely be touring once a month, once a quarter. I don't know when this is going to air exactly, but right now it's May 2021. So stay tuned for more dates. And I pretty much have a workshop or webinar at least once a month. So where you can find those is at thestephaniemichelle.com slash events. Perfect. Yeah. So it'll be, everything's on the website. And if they sign up, I guess, you get notified of all these things anyway through the events. So Stephanie, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. And uh, good luck with the audio book as well that we didn't touch on. But yeah, you're... Yes, we're recording that right here, right now. Recording the audio book. So, uh, you know, for those of you like myself who like to go for a walk or drive and listen to audio books, because I don't have all the time for reading, <laughs> the luxury of reading most of the time, Stephanie's recording it. So that's, um, it'll be out on Audible. Yeah, Recording Confident Introvert on audio, finally. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Stephanie. All the best. Yes. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for listening to the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast. Head over to the website to access the resources and links mentioned in today's episode at digitalnomadcafe.com.